We have the Beach family. We're going to come around and sing a couple for us. So you pray for them uh, as they come around. trust you you showed me how to believe 
them if they would say a testimony. Of course, they didn't. So I guess that leaves me. But I will say it is blessing um, at our house all hours of the day. You'll hear some type of instrument or somebody singing, whether it's a student or it's them. And it's not uncommon. Unfortunately, I should be more strict with bedtime, but it isn't uncommon at midnight that you'll hear them downstairs singing and playing their instruments. And I always hoped that I would have kids that loved music as much as Adam and I did, but um, I think the uh, bigger blessing is that they love to praise the Lord. And um, so we had that last song on her heart, and when you have your kids come to you saying, hey, there's this song that's been an encouragement to me, oh, it's just so sweet when you know that they're having time with the Lord and that God's real in their life. And uh, AJ, late last night, said, Mom, I really want to sing this song. And he was always praying for Rachel Vance. Uh, he put us to shame. I and mean, we, we remembered it as well, but AJ had such a burden for Rachel. And he said specifically that this second verse, he just can't help but think of Dale uh, when he sang it. And that was a special blessing, too, to hear my kids, even though they won't say it in front of you, I'll relate to you what they said to me. And how I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more.
the Lord. That was awesome. Amen. We do praise the Lord for that. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Jonah. I'm going to preach one more message out of Jonah. And uh, this has kind of been on my heart from the very beginning. Uh, I kind of got two titles for this one. One would be the recipe for repentance or the recipe for revival. Uh, I think both of those would fit and work well when we think about our topic tonight. I do want to say one thing. Uh, speaking of revival and things of like that, uh, on May the 2nd, on Tuesday, Franklin Graham will be at Fair Hill. And uh, they called and shared their vision with that. I loved it when they called and said, it's our goal that any person who comes forward that night does not pray alone. So we're calling on local churches to come and be with us. Tomorrow night, I will be going. Daryl's going with me. Where'd Daryl go? Anyway, Daryl's going with me. Uh, Rick Tallman's going. We're going to go over to Pleasant View at 6 o'clock. They'll speak to us about uh, dealing with people at the altar, praying with them. Uh, and so I'm excited about that and what the Lord will do that night. Uh, maybe you've never led someone to the Lord. What an opportunity uh, to go that night and experience that. Uh, I don't think there's any better way to jumpstart revival in your own heart than to see somebody else get saved. 
So uh, remember that. If you'd like to go, you can get a hold of me. Like I said, I'll be going over there. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna pick up Daryl, and we're gonna we're gonna go over there. So if you'd like to go, remember that. All right, now let's go to Jonah chapter number one. Let's talk about revival. Let's talk about repentance. And uh, this has been on my heart the whole time out of the book of Jonah to preach on Nineveh, to preach about the city itself. And so we're going to read the uh, first two verses of Jonah chapter 1. Stand with me if you would. Stretch your legs for just a moment. I promise I won't preach too long and put you to sleep tonight. You've been working hard out in the beautiful weather, and now you're sleepy. I get it, so I won't preach too long. Jonah Chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use the word of God tonight. Dear God, as we think about something that uh, is necessary in our own lives, that's necessary uh, to just uh, to keep living the Christian life the way that we should. Often we think of repentance and we think of revival. We think of lots of people getting saved or a nation turning to Christ. But dear God, the Christian has to repent often. The Christian needs a revival in his own heart if he's going to keep walking with you uh, and living close to you. So tonight, dear God, I pray that we would look at these scriptures, look at the city of Nineveh, look at what happens and say, God, help us as well. Help us to see the, the people that need this. And then let us make sure if it's us as well that needs revival, that needs repentance. And dear God, do that work in our heart and in our life, we pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful for the word of God and what it says to us each time we open up the book. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I don't know why this has been on my heart so much, but I have been thinking and meditating on Nineveh. As a matter of fact, I found that in the book of Jonah, uh, quite a few of these minor prophets, I've done a lot of reading about things that I realized I would never ever use in any of the messages. And I read all this stuff about the city of Nineveh, about the ancient city and all of this stuff. And it was interesting stuff and, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't things that needed to be brought out from the word of God and it wasn't things like that. But yet my mind kept going there to think about them. Now the one thing that I do want to say as we come to this and as we look at this is I really believe that one of the things that's important as we move through the minor prophets and even as we move through the Old Testament, something that the children of Israel missed that God was trying to show them, and I think a little bit here with the city of Nineveh that we see this as well, is that God wants his people to understand that the nation of Israel or any nation or any kingdom doesn't even though you might say, well, they turn to God or they're a Christian nation or that the Israelites are the chosen people and all of those things are true, but we do not come to God corporately 
we come to God individually. Each person is responsible for their relationship with Jesus Christ, for their relationship with God. It doesn't, and I, I think that that's not something novel for us to say, but I do want you to remember that the children of Israel did not understand that point. They would look back, as a matter of fact, when Jesus would be preaching and they say, hey, we are of Abraham's seed, right? We are, uh, of course we're righteous. Of course we have favor with God because we are Abraham's children. And God and Jesus is saying, listen, it's about you and me. It's about where you stand with God. And later on in this, we see that not only is the city of Nineveh, but the Bible starts to say that the king of Nineveh, he himself is the one that said, hey, we're going to repent. It's the king that personally, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but I want us to look at a few things here. So I want us to just go at this with this idea, a recipe for repentance, uh, a recipe for revival in our own hearts, maybe for our nation. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm really careful to, to not say nation because the revival is about you and God doing something with you. You can have a revival, and I know these things are not uncommon to say, but we say them, but we, we just don't get them, right? America doesn't have to have a revival for you to have a revival. America, America may never have a revival again. I don't know. They might. I, I think they could, but I don't know. But that doesn't stop you from having a revival with God. And him changing what you're doing in your life. It doesn't stop him from coming to you and showing you things you need to repent of. And you living in a way that's different than you lived before. And then God blessing that because you have repented. And you're seeing victories and you're seeing battles won because of it. And so tonight I do. I want us to think about this very much so on an individual level. Okay? So... The first thing, if we're going to have repentance or if we're going to have revival, the first thing that we need is found there in verse number two. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. If we're going to have a revival, and this is a little bit tough, but it's the way that it is, then there's going to be some wickedness that we're going to have to repent of. Now, we know there's no shortage of that in our land, is there not, right? We understand that. We see that. As a matter of fact, today I was listening to, I was listening to a sermon and it had nothing to do with this topic, but yet at the same time, it was helping me with this first point a little bit. We look around often and we think, why is our nation going so evil? Why are people so evil? Why would all of these things happen in the way that they would? And as I was listening, they were contemplating the fact of Saul and David. They were contemplating in this sermon the fact that the Bible says that God's spirit departed from Saul, and you go back and read it, and God sent an evil spirit 
that rested upon Saul. You might say, well, God shouldn't do that, right? God's not the author of evil. God doesn't do these things that are evil. Why in the world would these things happen? And why would the Bible word it that way and put it that way? The amazing thing about it is they were pointing out, and I know you've heard lots of things about, well, you know, God, and, and people describe it lots of different ways. But here's the amazing thing that they brought forward in that passage of Scripture and also uh, as, it, as it turns to life itself, that God, even in the bad things that happen, nothing catches him by surprise, and it is all working towards his will. Did you know that? It's all working towards his will. We look around us at our nation, and I know because I hear this all the time. How could it get so bad, and what's going to happen, and how's this going to be? God is working it to do what God wants to do. Even the evil, even the people that think they're working against God, they're actually working for God. They just don't even know that. Do you realize that? Satan cannot do anything that's outside of the bounds of God or what God is going to make. And he thinks in his own mind that he's wreaking havoc on God's people. We just celebrated Easter, amen? He thought he was wreaking havoc on God's plan when they killed Jesus Christ. Did he wreak havoc on the plan? Nope. Not one bit. He thought he was wreaking havoc on God's plan when they took Joseph and threw him in the pit and separated him from his father. But little did they know, at the very end of it, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God, Satan can't even do anything evil that God isn't already aware of it, moving in a way that it is working the express purpose of God. I think that's one thing that frustrates the devil, just to be honest with you. I think he understands that a little bit, and it frustrates him. But wickedness is all around us. Wickedness is real. Wickedness is a part of it. And it's also, and here's the tough one, right? It's also a part of our lives. And as much as we look around and say how wicked is the world... There's times that we need to do that inward look if there's going to be some repentance, if there's going to be some revival, and we say, God, where am I with you? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. We see this right throughout the book of Jonah, do we not? Where are we at at the end of it? What is Jonah's big hang-up about the people of Nineveh? They shouldn't be given mercy. They are not your chosen people. They are not the ones that should receive it. They are wicked. And his pride makes it to where he can't even see how good God is to those people when all of the time Jonah's the one as much as it's going to happen, there's some wickedness in his heart and in his life. And we're guilty of that often as well. Number one, I see that there's wicked people. If we're going to have repentance, if we're going to have revival, we need wicked people. And I know you want to look around and say, hey, there's plenty of wicked people. But I'm encouraging you tonight to look in your own pew 
and look in your own heart and say, maybe there's a wicked person sitting in this pew who needs to be revived and who needs to repent. Number two, we need a preacher. Go with me to chapter 3. Jonah chapter number 3. Verse number 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Let's back up so we get this a little bit. Arise, he's telling him after he's been spit out by the great fish. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Second thing that we need if we're going to have revival is we need a preacher. We need somebody to stand up and proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, here's what I'm going to say as we come into it in the context of the book of Jonah. We don't really even need a good preacher. Jonah's not a good preacher, just in case you were wondering, all right? He's got a six-word six message. He's got a bad attitude, right? You know all that already. But yet, God uses Jonah. I want to put this into perspective here for us specifically in the culture that we live in. God does not need a good preacher to make revival happen. He doesn't need some great orator to step up and to say all of the right things and to make all of the right moves. We get very hung up on who is doing the preaching. America's got a pretty good history of that. That we seem oftentimes to elevate men to a place of almost celebrity status when they seem to be good at preaching the word of God. But God does not need great preachers, great orators. He doesn't need those with a flair for the dramatic. He doesn't need those that know how to uh, gather a crowd or get a group. Uh, he just needs somebody that will go out and preach the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you were go to go and look back, Jonathan Edwards, and I know you know this, he read his sermons from the pulpit. I know you already know that. So many of you are already aware of that. And so because of this point right here, I want to put a great emphasis on this right here. That revival, what I'll tell you, revival and repentance has a whole lot more to do with the listener than with the preacher. Do we need to say that one again? Revival has a whole lot more to do with the listener rather than the preacher. Are we ready to do business with God? Man, if you had a congregation of God's people who started to plead with God and pray, who started to spend daily time in His Word and get serious about ministering where they are, Man, I really believe with all my heart 
as long as the man of God, no matter how he delivered it, no matter what his uh, address style is, no matter how he comes across, if he opens up the word of God and preaches it, you would have a congregation who is hungry for it and ready to repent when the word of God is preached. Ready and eager. We need a preacher. How will they hear without a preacher? We know the word of God says it, that these things are necessary. It is important that someone stand up and proclaim the word of God. But Moses was not a great orator and God used him. And We've had many throughout time that have been able to stand up and preach and proclaim the word of God not based upon their, their style, not based upon their flair for the dramatics, but based upon the fact that they were faithful to the word of God and they were preaching to a congregation that was ready to hear the word of God. Repentance and revival, I think it lies in the ears of the listener. Number three, I want you to go with me to chapter three again. And let's take a look at a couple things because let's read, let's read a little bit of scripture on this one right here. Chapter 3, let's go to verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. I love this. The people, the people. Not Nineveh, the great city, but the people. They responded to the message of the word. And then it says in verse 6, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And then this is the phrase that I love out of the book of Jonah. Verse number 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? This is a great passage. Here we see the people are repenting. So the, and the third one, in case you're putting these notes down, the third one is humility. And we're going to get to that one in a minute. So here we see that the people repent and they put on sackcloth and ashes and then the king gets up out of his throne and lays his royal robe down and he puts on sackcloth and ash and he sits and he says, listen, by decree, everybody has got to follow my lead on this and do as I am doing. And then, to me, what really speaks of his heart is he says, as we are doing this, let's repent, let's cry out to God, let's beg him to forgive us, and who knows if he will. Who knows? 
we've been so wicked down here in Nineveh. There's no telling whether or not he will forgive us. But whether or not he will, I'm going to beg his forgiveness. If he doesn't forgive me, I kind of get it. I kind of understand. See, that's not the way that we deal with God, is it? Mm -mm. We come and we get right with God and we're going to do stuff for God and we're working for God. And then we turn around and look at God and go, okay, your turn, God. Okay, God, bless me. I'm living right. What's the promise that I need to claim on to here today, God, so that everything will be, be well with me? That's not very humble of us, is it? That speaks volumes of what's in our heart often. When we come to God and we repent, or so, man, we had a great conversation last night. I had the teenage boys as we were doing, uh, I had the high school boys as we were doing it, and we were talking about some of these things. And one of those young people said, they were like, Mike, you can't come to God and, uh, and, and, and act humble so he'll do something for you. And I was like, you're hitting the nail on the head. You're getting it. He, he didn't even know what I was going to be preaching tonight, but he was already ahead of me. And he was saying, you, you have to have that spirit in you. you. You don't expect anything from God. And I'm like, boom, that's it. But oftentimes we come. This book is heavy. This book is deep. Oftentimes we come like Jonah, chapter 2, verse number 2, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction. That's the only time we come because I'm afflicted. Over here, the king's saying, I have no idea if he'll forgive me, but I'm going to try. And even if he doesn't, who can tell? Who can tell? I see this almost mirrored in the prodigal son, do we not? Prodigal son comes back to the, his father and he's like, I don't deserve to be anywhere near you. But if you'll just make me one of your servants, I know that it'll be better off as a servant than where I was. So just make me a servant. And what you know the story, doesn't it? And the father picks him up and puts a ring on his finger and a robe on him and kills the fatted calf. And what happens? What happens? The elder son looks and says, Where's my fatted calf? Where's my ring for my finger? You see it, don't you? He's Jonah, isn't he? He's Jonah. Jonah's like, why do they deserve that? Why does Nineveh deserve anything? Nineveh's just sitting over there. The king of Nineveh's sitting over there going, I don't know if he'll forgive us. I'm sure praying he will. I don't know if he'll ever think about us again. But God, please hear our cry. And if you don't, so be it. I get it. And he hears their cry. Jonah's sitting over there with a heart full of pride. God's chosen people. And you don't get it. You don't get it. Number four. I love this. We got to keep reading. He says in verse number, we're going to go back to chapter three. Then let's go to verse number nine again. This is a king again talking. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Who can tell if God will do this? I, man, I hope that he will. Notice what verse number 10 says. And God saw their works. Isn't that interesting? That they turn from their evil way. 
God repented of the evil that he said unto that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Remember when Jesus said, you need to learn, go and do works that are meat of repentance. I love that phrase. Go and do something. Go and do something that shows me that you're sorry. You ever say that to your kids? You're not sorry. You're just sorry you got caught, right? You know? You know that deal, don't you? I mean, I've raised four boys. They were never sorry for anything. They're just sorry they got caught, right? But every once in a while, right? Every once in a while, you would see that spirit in them. That they weren't upset that they got hurt. They, weren't, they were truly upset that they hurt you. Remember those times? It happened occasionally. When you got boys, it's very rare. From what I understand with girls, it might even be rare, but I don't know. I don't know. But every once in a while, you could see, and maybe you didn't even punish them that time. You know what I mean? Maybe it was just different. Maybe you were kind of devastated and was just like, I don't know, and you didn't. But you could see in their heart that they were trying to win back your favor, right? They wanted to restore the relationship again. When Jesus Christ, when, when we start to realize what Christ has done for us, I think we spend our whole life trying to just kind of show him how much we love him. We're just trying to do some works that are meat of repentance. We're trying to say, look, I know. I believe that there is a work that follows that is necessary. And I think this might be one of the missing ingredients of repentance and revival. Because we as good Baptists don't like that word work, do we? No, Mike, we're not saved by works. You shouldn't even preach about that. We're not saved by works lest any man shall boast. You can't preach about that. I, well, I'm going to preach about it because it's in the book. Amen. What did God see? He saw their work. He saw what they did. Because they didn't just talk the talk. They walked the walk. They didn't just come in and say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I messed up again. They didn't just cry out of... As a matter of fact, unlike Jonah, not only did they do the work, but I believe there was some joy in their heart as they did the work. You ever hear that one? I remember that one from my wife. It's not that I want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. I don't get it. So should I do them or not? <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. But the Lord is looking where? Jonah does the work, but his heart is far from God. But the Ninevites do the work, and their heart is right with God. And he revives and restores them. And there's real repentance. Real repentance. Boy, I think we need some real repentance. And we need some real revival. It's going to show up in our heart. A recipe for revival. Wicked people, a preacher, humility, and a work. We find these things in the book of Jonah. Every head bowed.
every eye closed. As they come and prepare just a song tonight, if he wants to sing, that's fine. I know it's Wednesday night and you preach a message like that. Don't expect people to flood the altar. I get it. But maybe in whatever way you need to, you need to humble your heart before God. Maybe it can be done where you are. Maybe you do need to come to the altar. I don't know. But let's let him do that work in us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Jonah. Dear Lord, thank you for revival. Thank you for a second chance. What a book. Dear God, let us take it with us wherever we go. Dear God, let us at the first sign of wickedness in our life be eager to repent. Let us not be stiff-necked people who say you couldn't possibly be talking about me. But dear God, we would be so, uh, so in love with our Savior that we would not want any kind of strife between our God and us and that we would be quick to repent. We'll praise you for what you do through this word in our life tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we stand How deep the Father's love for us How best beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross. Sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin.